Welcome to the Pivotcast. This episode was recorded on February 7th, 2018 at the Transact Club. This episode features readings from Jeff Kirby, Melanie Ma, and Sam Shellstad. Just so you know, this episode contains some strong sexual content and language. Listener's discretion is advised. Welcome. The hard part's over. You made it. Now it's just easy listening. Uh, so Melanie Ma. Melanie Ma is a writer in Toronto who was born and raised in Alberta. Her debut novel, The Sweetest One, won the 2017 Trillium Book Award, and her work has been published in Prism and Rice Paper. She's currently at work on an intergenerational memoir. Please welcome Melanie. Thanks a lot. It's a, it's a real pleasure to be here. Um, I like Pivot for a bit. Um, thanks for coming in the snow. And thanks for Kinesia and Michelle for having me. Um, I'm going to read a bit from my memoir and then a bit from my novel. <clears throat> Grave, Prince Albert I. Enter off Marquee Road. Your father will tell you to slow down, even though you weren't going that fast, even as you were already slowing down for a sign that stipulates a 10K speed limit. You find him irritating. He's been like this for days this time, for years, for his whole life. But what you think, what you find, is not important to him, though it means the world to you. Take deep breaths, he is old, introspective but inconsiderate, and not insightful in a way that's ever made any sense to you. Round the bend, then count the trees, fourth big one on the left, then park the car, cross the road, three stones in, and you're there. It's low to the ground, the kind of thing that gets swallowed up and disappears if you're not careful. Years ago, your father paid to raise it up so it's at grade, though not so high that it gets kissed by the blades of the riding mowers that tend this place. Kisses can leave scars. You've seen the arcing marks on other graves. The stone is dark gray granite and your Chinese is garbage. The only things you can read on it are numbers. Some of them take time. And your last name, which you share with the person buried here and everyone else who comes from your dad's village in China. This guy's name was Don Bon Ma. You're not related. You never even saw a picture, but you drove 10 hours in one day to get here, and you'll drive the 10 back the day after tomorrow, and this is neither the first nor the last time you'll be in Prince Albert, Saskatchewan, a place that's mostly white and indigenous. You imagine townsfolk happening upon this stone and wondering what it says, too. Your father's talking to it now, or maybe to something beyond it, there's emotion in his voice as he introduces you, as he asks for good luck and good sales on your first book and all the others after that. There's a tray in front of the grave. On it are cups and chopsticks, alcohol and food and paper, gold-painted sheets folded into ingot shapes by your sister, who did not come with you, and a thin brick of hell banknotes and denominations of a hundred million, billions of dollars if you only just believed. It's for him, Don Bond, to spend beyond the grave. Only the best for him. Who was he? Your father's paper grandfather, or your, your father's paper father, your paper grandfather? 
In an act of common trickery, he pretended to have a son when he entered Canada close to 100 years ago. Then years later, he found someone in China, your father. He brought him in to help him run restaurants he didn't yet have. A forward thinker, that Don Bon. The restaurants are a lot like banks, places to store money, ways to make more of it. Don't be shy. Don't think that your clean clothes and master's degree in any way remove you from the reality that restaurant work has touched your life. Your dad moved 10 times in 17 years, chasing higher restaurant wages and hundreds of thousands in the diaspora with hair like yours and skin like yours have been doing something similar for more than 200 years by now. Chinese restaurant workers form a part of Canadian history, Canadian identity that you might not know from books or the news. To learn about this takes research, takes digging in archives and asking questions of old timers, but I'm getting ahead of myself here. You're still there in front of the stone, bowing three times with the money and pouring alcohol from the little red cups. Smirnoff, maybe not Don Bond's first choice, but beggars can't be choosers, while you wonder who he was and what his bachelor's life was like. Was he good with his hands? Maybe a wise-ass or enterprising? What did he do for fun, or was there even time for that? You thank him for existing and for choosing your father. Your parents did well for themselves, but maybe they wouldn't have if it weren't for Don Bond and his magic foresight. If you weren't in the picture, maybe you'd exist. Probably you wouldn't, or maybe you'd be a farmer in Toysan with a baby tied to your back and roughness spilling from your mouth and a vague sense of dissatisfaction pervading your dreams. Today, you are a writer. You love to write. You're smart, articulate, unmarried, no kids, and you like it that way. You burn the money in a clay pan, poke a hole in the ground with a screwdriver that you brought, and put Walmart plastic flowers in the hole. Your dad says he bets someone will steal them, and before you leave, he dumps the smoking ashes on the grass, then pees at the base of a tree. He's old, after all, can't hold his piss. He seems confused as to just how reverent he should be in a place like this. But the village was rough. Saskatchewan was rough. Why shouldn't the afterlife be? When you look back at the pictures, you're not supposed to take pictures in the cemetery. It's bad luck, but you did it anyway. You're shocked by how old your father looks. You're shocked by the white of his hair and his tired face, skin that's even tired when it wakes up but you've been shocked by this for close to a decade. It's part of why you're here, to collect the stories and learn as much as you can from the source before the source is gone. Your father came to Canada more than 65 years ago. Your mom has been here for close to 50. You were born in Alberta. Your family's been there for more than 45 years, but before that, your dad was in Saskatchewan. Your mom was in Hong Kong. Their lives there are mysteries, but you know that there are restaurants, villages, poverty, untold stories, or ones you know and can't believe. Your mom and the Hong Kong bomb scares of 67 and so many of the things your dad's been through. Writing their stories is an attempt to fix the ephemeral. It's like cupped handfuls of water for the driest of throats. You need it all, and if you don't hold it tight, drink it fast, it leaks away. In the car, as your dad drives away from the grave, you scribble things down in your notebook. As he drives to the next town, you ask him questions. You write fast and you try to write true, as if it were a matter of life and death. And of course it is.
so I took great care of picking out what I was going to read tonight. Um, things lately have been hard in the news and on social media. Six more weeks of winter and in my life personally, too. Um, there's a lot of death in this book, and I, I <laughs> want to read some of it, but I can't handle that death right now, so I'll read something else. This is for all of you who have been young and in love once, or maybe more times than that. In the beginning, there was Sean, or maybe it wasn't Sean. Maybe there were others. You can only go so far back. I don't remember what I liked about him. For years, I only remembered him as a name. Something happened to him. Maybe he moved away or transferred to another school because he hadn't been around in so long, more than 10 years maybe. Then in March, this guy came into the store, this total rig pig with permanently dirty overalls and hands. I only knew it was Sean because he was cashing a check. He smelled like alcohol. I wanted him. Can I say that? Something about him, about all those rigger guys, but he didn't remember me. I didn't ask if he did, but I knew. I cashed him out and didn't say shit. I guess it's fine. He's probably stupid now. He was probably stupid then, too. Sometime after Sean was Craig Jameson with the machine gun laugh. His dad owned the fruit stand. My dad and I would go on Saturdays or after schools. We would pull up in the gray olds and fear would creep up unannounced like a lion in a nature show, then pounce. My dad would get out of the car. Me, I wouldn't even unlatch my seatbelt. Luila, he would say, come on. Then we'd stand out there in the gravel and the heat, my dad pointing at the baskets of cherries and peaches he wanted, changing his mind sometimes, while Craig and I would have an awkward moment, talk a bit about a light subject like school or the weather I don't remember. Craig would joke, I wouldn't, not with my dad standing there. What's the worst that would have happened if I talked to him more? I don't know, didn't think that far, I was that scared. What I did know was I'd catch from my dad if he so much as suspected. He'd beat the out of me with a shoe, a hanger, whatever he could find when we got home, he would. Between Sean and Craig was Derek Mason, who I remember one time on the steps of Spring Hills Elementary, drawing a big fucking tank shooting puny little soldiers, pinpricks of spattered blood that was our moment, me watching him draw. Five years later in grade seven, some of us were at this glacial erratic on the bike path, a big rock people in town call Big Rock. I'm not sure why I was there. Derek was about to make out with Amanda Rice, and it made me feel weird the way he was touching her, the way he was getting in. A nursery rhyme song about the eensy-weensy spider, only it was going up her leg and she liked it. I even liked Mike Brown at one time, until he came into the store with my dad, saying something about Steph or Trina's ass, something about a nice Chinese butt. Fuck that guy. There was Travis Ingmeyer, who I don't remember uh, much of, and Steve McInnes, brother of Peggy McInnes, who used to date my brother Reggie. There was John Nelson, whose house I called. I found his number in the phone book. I was so nervous the moment after you dial the last number and it starts to call and you can't turn back. The ringing, one, two, three, four. The woman who picked up, who must have been his mom, but I forged ahead and asked for him. When he got on the phone, I asked him how he was and what he thought of the weather. His answers were brief, so I asked him more questions about basketball. He was on the team and about some funny thing that happened in math class that week. 
Eventually, he asked me why I was calling and I couldn't handle it. He probably told his friends about it. It scared me off calling guys I liked for years. I still don't do it. There was Mark Peterson, this friend of Jean's, who I ended up being friends with too, whose first words to me were, you look ravishing. That ravishing thing was a joke, a thing he did to be weird, but I had daydreams of putting my face on his crotch on the benches in the hall at school. Things were not anatomically correct in my imaginings. (laughs) Warps in the space-time continuum were required. He didn't know how I felt, I didn't tell him, and before he moved away for university, he dated my friend Kay Berenger. There was Jake Kowalchuk, handsome and friendly, who everybody liked. We had mutual friends, and when Jake's dad ended up dying in a 14-car pileup out on Highway 11, I thought our having something in common would make us closer. It didn't. He was out of my league. There was Jason Parsons in grade six who I chased and kicked in the shins. John Niedermeyer last year who was ugly and sweet but still too scary to approach. Andrew Grabowski, this guy from interior BC who wore skater clothes but wasn't a skater. There's a lot I'm leaving out. Other than John Nelson, none of them knew, or maybe some did, but didn't show it, or they showed it, and I was just too f***ing scared to notice or do anything back. Do you ever feel like there's maybe no one for you, or that there's someone and you have to find them, and if you found them, you have to win them, and only when you do will your life be forever changed for the better, and in ways you could barely imagine? That's exactly how I feel, like there's no one for me, or maybe it's Ty and there's no goddamn way whatsoever he'd be interested in me. I used to say stuff like that to Steph and Trina. Steph would encourage me, tell me in her no bullshit way that I was smart and beautiful, and that someday I'd know it was true and guys would flock. One time Trina started crying. It's sad, all right, I said, laughing at myself. But she she said she was crying because she didn't understand how I'd grown up in such a way that I could never once believe a single good thing about myself. It made me feel even worse, like, not only am I totally not attractive to anyone, but also I'm f***ed up in a way that is even weirder than I thought and can't be changed. One time I was maybe, when I was maybe 14, I was talking to Trina about this guy, Dirk Clausen, who was a snowboarder, canoeer, mountain climber kind of guy. I was saying there wasn't any way. I barely even walked on the bike trail. Plus, I was ugly. F***ing rights you are, she said. What? I said, wounded. <laughs> See, even you don't believe that shit, she said. I guess she had a point, but being scared and worrying about whether or not someone good would want you is one thing. Letting someone else shit all over your self-esteem is another. Thank you. Sam Shellstad is a writer from London, Ontario. His stories have appeared in the New Quarterly, Prism International, and McSweeney's Internet Tendency, among others. He was long listed for the 2014 CBC Short Story Prize. Of his debut collection, Cup House, from Nightwood Editions 2017, Quill Choir said, reads like something out of George Saunders. It is precisely this blend of humor and pathos that gives Shellstad's stories their disarming power. Sam lives in Toronto. Welcome, Sam. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. I love Pivot. It's a cool room, cool hosts. 
Cool audience tonight? Not usually. <laughs> uh, I'm going to read from my pink book, Cop House. Um, I'm going to read a story called New Ice Kingdom. And I'm going to read part of it because it's a little long. So just a little bit. Um, it's about a polar bear. So just imagine that I'm a polar bear reading to you. Just close your eyes. Uh, yeah. Okay, so I'm going to read this. Uh, you can buy my book if you want. I, I'm not going to read the ending of the story, so you won't know how it ends unless you buy it. Uh, or you can just ask me and I'll tell you. All right. Things different in New Ice Kingdom, but things also same. Things same. Snow. Water. Ice. Ice holes. Spend most of time at ice holes. Sun come during day as always, then go away at night. Things different. Not as many polar bear. Just me. That means no bud. Bud, my son. Miss bud. Not so much miss others. Also different. Not good at killing seal. Before was good at killing seal. To kill seal, first find ice hole. Wait by ice hole, maybe for a long time. When seal comes up for air, there is smell of seal's breath. When smell seal's breath in hole, reach down and kill seal by biting head. If flopping, bash with paw. When seal dead from head bite, bashing, drag to nice spot, eat. Or, if not hungry, bury in secret spot for later. Was very good at this in old ice kingdom. Ate lots of seal, gave seal bits to sun, bud. Also gave seal bits to other, less good seal killers like Mori, who is mooch. <laughs> Since come to new ice kingdom, not so good at killing seal. Hesitate. New ice kingdom has ice holes and seals. Seals swim to ice holes for air. All normal. But when smell seal breath now, not quick. Hesitate. Seal go back down. Last meal. Long time ago. Sun come and go away 100 times or more. So, hungry. Today, maybe good day. Optimistic. Find ice hole, lay down. Wait at ice hole. No seal breath. Wait long time, then go away. Find new ice hole. At new ice hole, lay down. Wait at ice hole. Wait very long time. And when about to go away, seal breath. Hesitate. Seal go back down. Hungry. Later, sun go away. While sun going away, thank sun for day. Even though not good day, no catch seal. But not sun's fault. Maybe tomorrow better. Dig small pit in ice. Sleep. Today, meet friend. No friends in New Ice Kingdom until now. Was at ice hole waiting for seal breath? Waited long time, then smelled seal breath. Hesitated. Seal go back down. Then heard noise. Turned around, saw fox. Thought was bud at first. Same size, color, but not bud. Fox. Fox looked hungry. Wanted seal bits? But no seal, so walk away. 
would have given Fox seal bits because Fox friend, but no seal. So Fox go away. Later, go to different ice hole. Lay down. Wait. No seal breath. Wait long time. No seal breath. See Fox in distance waiting for seal bits, but no seal. Fox go away. Decide to spy on old ice kingdom. Have to be sneaky because of Mori. Walk long time, see old ice kingdom across water. Big swim from new ice kingdom to old ice kingdom. Water gap, good boundary. Hide behind snow pile near shore. Look at old ice kingdom. See Bud. Bud with Mori. Bud Mori's son now? No, Bud's still my son. Miss Bud. Not so much Miss Mori. Hear noise. Look back. Fox. Fox followed. Fox good. Fox friend. Maybe Fox thinking about seal bits, but not killing seal now. Spying on Sun and Mori. Good team, me and Fox. Sidekicks. We'll call Fox Foxy. Go on adventures. Kill seal and give Foxy seal bits. Foxy and bear. Fall asleep on snow pile. Wake up. Bud gone. Mori gone. Foxy gone. Go back to New Ice Kingdom. Hungry. Tired. Sun go away. Thank sun for day. Thank sun for Foxy. Today good day because have new friend. Also bad day because no seal. Dig small pit in ice. Sleep. I'm not done. <laughs> I just have that thing where you can hear my lips. I had a guy come fix my internet a few days ago, and he had that really bad. Like, he was talking to be like... <laughs> and my wife and I were like, uh, do you want anything? <laughs> like, food or something? And he's like, no, I just had lunch. And we're like, oh, drink some water. <laughs> Anyways, the continuation of New Ice Kingdom. Adventure for Foxy and Bear today. After sun comes, go to ice hole. Wait. Wait long time. Smell seal breath. Hesitate. Seal go back down. Hear noise. See Foxy. No seal bits, sorry. But still friends. Go to look for different ice hole. Maybe better luck. Walk for a long time. See thing far away. Maybe seal. Sometimes seal sit on ice. Rest. This good. Sneak up on seal behind snowdrift. Foxy following. Get close. Peer over drift at seal ready to attack. But not seal. Not look like seal. Not smell like seal. Get closer. Shit. Own shit from different day. While walking away to find ice hole, see Foxy go over to shit pile. Foxy eat part of shit. Good adventure. <laughs> then, at ice hole, waiting for seal breath and thinking of Bud. Miss Bud. Bud miss me? Not know. Miss own dad. Showed how to wait by ice hole, kill seal. Remember dad giving water rides. Would hold onto dad's neck and back. Then dad would swim around in water between old ice kingdom and new ice kingdom. 
didn't go to New Ice Kingdom, though, because Dad made frowny face and pointed paw at New Ice Kingdom to say, They're not good. Old Ice Kingdom good. But New Ice Kingdom not so bad. Except hungry. Not good at killing seal in New Ice Kingdom. Want Bud back, but Bud maybe not want back. Because messed up. Did bad thing, now Bud not happy. While thinking of Bud and own dad, smell seal breath. Hesitate. Seal go back down. Sun go away. Thank sun for day. Thank sun for foxy. Dig small pit in ice. Sleep. Today very desperate. Almost did bad thing. When sun came, went to ice hole. Foxy near, waiting for seal bits. Waited. Smelled seal breath. Hesitated. Seal go back down. Hungry. Went to secret spot. Dug up secret thing. This not good. Should not dig up secret thing. But hungry, so did. Secret thing still there, buried deep in snow. Same. Bite marks on head, but good condition. Very hungry, but want to be good dad for bud, so put back. This very hard to do because of hungry. Put secret thing back in secret spot. Went to ice hole. Wait at ice hole. No seal breath. Foxy watch, then go away. Sun go away. Thanks sun for day. Thanks sun for Foxy. Thanks sun for dad who taught to be good and not eat secret thing. Dig small pit. Sleep. Today not good day. Hungry. Do not leave pit. Should probably go to ice hole with Foxy, but tired. Sun looking down like, why still in pit? Why not go to ice hole and try again? But still not get up. In pit, thinking of old ice kingdom. Miss old ice kingdom. Miss Bud. Remember being cub, Bud's age, playing ice hole game. So much fun when cub. Would go with friend, find two ice holes near each other. Would dive into first ice hole, swim in water under ice, until come out of second ice hole. Scary because what if couldn't find other ice hole? But always did because smart. <laughs> Learned ice hole game from dad. Dad was good dad. Later taught ice hole game to bud. So good dad as well. Except ice hole game, how bad thing happened. So maybe not good dad now. Thinking about bad thing, feel bad for Maury. Although feel bad for self because Miss Bud. At least Bud's still here. Maury's son not here because of bad thing. Remember was waiting by ice hole in old ice kingdom. This was before when good at killing seal. Bud nearby playing ice hole game with Maury's son. Bud and Maury's son best friends was waiting, then heard noise in ice hole, smelled breath, did not hesitate, reached down with paw, grabbed seal, bit head, not seal. First thought was bud, very scary, but not bud, thanks son, but was Maury's son, not good. Bud run over, see best friend with blood on head. See dad with blood on mouth. 
Bud cry. This very bad. Bud run off. Scared of own dad? Not chase after. When Maury find out, maybe Maury try and kill one who bites son's head. So take Maury's son in mouth. Run away. Swim across to New Ice Kingdom. Bury Maury's son in secret spot. Not good dad like own dad. Son go away. Thanks, son, for day, even though whole day in pit. Hungry. Bad thoughts. And I'll stop there. Thank you. Jeff Kirby's newest is She's Having a Doris Day by Knife Work Book. 2017. Earlier chapbooks include Simple Enough, Cock and Soul, Bob's Boy, and The World is Fucked and Sometimes Beautiful. <laughs> I was looking forward to that one. <laughs> Their work appears in numerous anthologies, beginning with the letter Q, and most recently online at the Rusty Duke, Matrix Magazine, and Bandcamp slash Jeff Kirby. All one word. Kirby is the fantastic, fabulous owner and publisher of Knife Fork Book. Let's give a round of applause. Thanks, everybody. You know, I got up this morning and I looked out and I went, <laughs> I wouldn't come see me tonight. <laughs> so thank you for filling this room. And... Uh, and thank you to Pivot for the lovely invitation to be here tonight. And Melanie and Sam, it's a pleasure to be in, in this space with you tonight. Um, it's so funny that I had read the thing about the trigger warning and, and, and I went, mm, that would take up my entire reading. <laughs> so we're not going to go there. Let's just say... Uh, she's happy, she's queer, and it's it's very queer and sex positive. And I, I will tell you a story. I was at, when this went through Rosedale Library, was still on Church Street when Church Street still had some life to it. And I was there with my mom. We were launching this new, um, a new anthology beginning with the letter Q. It was called Quickies. And um, I had a piece in it called Puppy Love, which eventually went to, to the best gay erotica series. Um, I used to write a lot of great um, gay porn under different pseudonyms. And um, and my mom was there. Okay, Suzanne, God love her. And, we're there, and, and the anthologist, was the editor for the anthology was there. And he goes, Kirby, is this your mom? And I said, yes, this is my lovely mother, Suzanne. She's up from, from Ohio. And he goes, my mom would never even touch this book. Is she coming to your reading? And he looks, are you coming to his reading? And she goes, are you ready? Aren't we all adults here? <laughs> so my assumption is that we're all adults here tonight. Um, I'm going to begin with, I found some treasures. I'm doing a Kirby mashup tonight, okay? We'll read a bit from Doris. We'll read some old stuff. We'll read some very, very new stuff. But I'm starting with, there was this great journal called Steam Magazine that was out in the early 90s, um, early to mid 90s. And it was virtually a quarterly 
telling guys where to go have public sex anywhere in in the states and Canada internationally, and they even had reviews of where of these public sex places. And of course, I was a contributor. So, um, <laughs> absolutely. Anyway, this issue is special because um, there was it was the romance issue. And they asked for 22 experts in the field to write a little piece on romance. And, I mean, this included, like, Samuel Delaney and Lawrence Schmiel and David Lawrence. I mean, some names, William Mann, really extraordinary. But, and yours truly. So mine, mine was called A Cute Little Ditty on Romance. And since it's February, I thought we'd start there. Romance is placing a dozen assorted condoms and lube in my lover's suitcase before he leaves for London. Romance is doing his laundry, everything but his jock I wear on my face as I sort through colors. Romance is never tiring of watching the way his cock moves. Romance is when you come to apologize, when you cease to apologize for farting and begin to welcome it while rimming. Romance is dreaming of the day that I might be able to feel his thick horse dick unload up my ass a second time without latex and without risk. Romance is surgical gloves, plenty of eye contact, and good communication. Romance is swell. So I'm finishing work on a new book called This Is Where I Get Off. And it's entirely, <laughs> it's entirely about places where I used to have public sex here in Toronto. In fact, there'll be a map of, all the, of, of every little spot. And the plan for the launch is we're gonna rent a bus. And, I'm, and we're going to go to the locations and I'll read from the locations. This one's, um, <laughs> Plan now. Um, this one's called. This is this is in the new Rusty Took. This was just nominated for the push card. It's called "When the Gardens Were the Gardens." Okay. Alan Gardens, 4 a.m. Positively cherubic boy stands near the front fountains. I thought she was the fountain. Wants me to pee in his pampers. Who am I to deny such a simple ask? She writhes, giggles, squeals. Oh my God, girl, I'm so glad this is working for you. <laughs> Such joy. After she implores me to send more her way. I cross the path to where a dozen or so pants bunched at their ankles. Jack suck, blow, f watch one plowed so hard. The fucker's axe backs into the plate glass of the greenhouse. An entire sheet crashes. You've never seen so many queens pull up their shorts so fast and skedaddle the f*** out of there. 4.31. A youth lay across the park bench lit by lamppost in what turns out to be just the lining cut out of a Speedo brimming with cock. UBL, ultimate bulge lover, I invite him back to my place. He wants me to do him there. This bench, this lamppost, his scene, his setting. I pull out my poppers and lose my entire face 
his bulge my all. Boy pulls me off each time he gets close, loves to edge till dawn. Now, does everybody know how to do this, that sound? Okay, can you practice it with, with me real quick? So whenever I lift my leg, you go, okay. Oh, come on, we can have this much fun, right? Hello, are you ready? We're gonna practice, are you ready? Okay, one more time, are you ready? That's what it is, okay. So anytime I do that, go, that's exactly right. Okay. So this piece is called You're Welcome. <laughs> she parted her cheeks out spring. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you very much. That's from Doris. Um, I'm responsible for AIDS. Yep. Me personally. After f***ing a green monkey while vacationing in the conga, I spend a luxurious week at the Big Apple being pissed and shit on in the back room bathtub of the mine shaft with an inhaler of butyl nitrate taped to my left nostril, eating three square meals based on USDA government-inspected pork with applesauce from a rusty tin. While a 17-year-old corn-fed unemployed farm boy from Ohio f***s my ass without a condom, stuffing the dead gerbil that suffocated there two days earlier further up my bum as a black Vietnam War vet shares his needle he found on the floor to shoot smack up my left arm. Then I came home and f***ed your boyfriend, who in turn was sucked off by a Baptist minister to cover his tuition, who had left his wife and parish to run off with the ninth grade Sunday school instructor who still turns tricks on the side. That green monkey must have been gay. <laughs> this piece is called Body Positive. I can tell you exactly how I got it from my mother. Each week she sent me dozens of clippings from the various rags she read and swore by. No cure for gays in sight. Rescuers to wear anti-AIDS gloves. Homosexuals converted by AIDS scare. But mom, I don't have AIDS. You had no trouble telling me you were a gay. Now, why can't you tell me you have AIDS? My diagnosis came several months ago. I already knew because I'd been through all this with Mark. I was showing the same symptoms. I called in sick so often I lost my job. I've been down here ever since. The vigil. It began two years ago, two PWAs chained themselves to the doors of this old federal building in protest toward this government's total lack of response to its number one health priority. Dozens of us have chained ourselves since then. 21 have died. Most of us have been arrested. Security guards in rubber gloves come with a pair of bolt cutters around noon each day they think the gloves will protect them. Arresting us is not going to get rid of us. 
My friend Eric was arrested last Friday. They just came out with the cutters, snipped the chains, took him inside and booked him. The fine, $25. What are they going to do? Kill me if I don't pay it? My first arrest, I plead not guilty. I'm not guilty. The people who work in this building are guilty. The pharmaceutical companies are guilty. Their boss is guilty. If anyone should be fined, it's the f***ing president of the United States, the man who would be king. There, that'll bring out the cutters. I'm here because I want them to have to see me, to look my life in the f***ing face. I'm not going to go until I'm ready until I'm heard. We met at a Sunday afternoon tea dance like a scene out of West Side Story from across a crowded floor. Mark stood against the window facing Polk Street, short cropped sandy brown hair, white t-shirt and jeans. Me, I'm on the floor doing the courtship dance of my life. I love the way you move, Mark tells me. At his place, I lay on his futon, wait for him to come out of the john. He steps out, wearing these amazingly thick, square, broad-rimmed glasses. And at first, I thought I was going to seriously laugh, because I'm thinking, look at these glasses. And then I realized, oh no, don't laugh, darling, don't laugh. Those are his glasses. (laughs) And uh, then and there, I knew I could do his laundry. Mark's diagnosis came in late April, the flu that wouldn't go away. Increasing fatigue and diarrhea in May, his hospitalization in June, pneumocystis, dehydration, his inability to absorb nutrients, the Kaposi's lesions led to chemotherapy in July and August. I remember the night before his treatment, Mark asked me to wash his hair. It was our Friday night ritual. He loved the feel of my hands caressing his scalp. It was the most intimate thing we could do at the time. Home felt like a reprieve for Mark, but his weight and strength steadily declined. How do we stop this goddamn diarrhea? God, it's so painful. Once he called me into his room, he just sat there glaring at his face in the mirror. I always wanted to see my cheekbones before I died. Mark, doing his best Joan Crawford. We pissed ourselves laughing. I mean, he really did. (laughs) Then during his second bout with pneumonia, Mark took his life. What little he had left. You see, I, he wanted to live on his terms. He had told me when the Kaposi's has reached his face, he was too vain. You know, Mark, I don't think anyone understands. I don't think anyone allows themselves to understand. When I was a small child, my mom always told me, sometimes the truth hurts, but you always have to tell the truth, even if it hurts. And people, friends, come up to me and tell me how courageous I am. 
and at Mark's memorial, friends for whom Mark was only one out of four services attended that week expressed their remote sympathy and asked if I was okay in my whole body, screaming, no, I'm not okay. Until this one woman, Kay, who knew Mark, worked with him, looks at me in the face and says, this really sucks. Yeah, you're right. This really sucks. As I sit here chained, my body pleading for new drugs that will feed it some hope as people push Bibles in my face. They don't give a flying fuck if I die or not. To them, I'm just this degenerate fag who likes to take it up the ass and who cares? Well, I'm alive. God damn it. I'm alive. I'm a person with AIDS and I'm alive. I'm a gay man with AIDS and look what I can do. I can chain myself to the doors of this fucking federal building and scream, you feel so safe in your leather cushion seats, you pompous, ignorant fucks. Look at me. I am the general public, you fucking assholes. And your silence hasn't killed me yet. A church pew, a dining table, lilies in a glass vase. Did you say 50? Five, zero, plus elegant torsos, names that end in a vowel with Z, gun down, single shooter, gay club, global warming. I won't miss Florida. How can I write about anything? There are Adam's feet beside me, within reach. I touched one today, a greeting. He's married, a daughter, f***ers have been shot for less. A look, a glance, if he had a gun, he could kill me now. Tell the top, the cops that came on to him, leave here, kill a few more, 50 more. The shooter's so disgusted at the sight of two men kissing. In front of his family, his father told the press. Enough to annihilate 50, 50, all 50 states. Lieutenant Governor Texas tweets, they shall reap what they sow. Trump congratulates himself, blames Obama taking America down this bridal path. Adam, it is so much fun having a boy crush on you. Don't you love crushes? I will take that photo of you to really look at you. Your olive skin, your neck, oh God. Without fear of being mowed down, shot to death, slain, this dismal, blissful place, gender queers pay some straight hole in the wall, dance their tits off neck, not think of the ugliness that borders infringes every six-year-old in a classroom, every black male pulled over, every female in uniform, every campus, workplace, street corner, storefront, 
Bible study home, 50 rounds a minute, shot down in as many seconds, like you, I have been a moving target my whole life. Gun sights drawn on my face and my back. I left America. I knew I had no future, that Americans mean it when they say, love it or leave it. That Nancy's Ronnie and his kind willfully turned, left us to die, and I will, a Nancy boy, a faggot. One glorious flaming faggot. The following reading has references to the recent crimes in Toronto's gay village. Listener's discretion is advised. They found the bodies today. Parts in large planters. Salim, Andrew, Three more yet to be identified, not missing. Dad, when I grow up, can I be gay just like you and Donald? You can be anything you want to be, Tommy. Can I be a girl? Yeah, maybe. We'll find out. I want to be gay just like you. He smiles, feels the stubble on my cheek, and I think to myself, oh, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. This is your son. That's good, Tommy. Thank you very much. To find out more about the Pivot Readings, go to pivotreadings.ca.